The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com Nothing personal word of the day. It's more like a phrase. I'm back. You know what that refers to? Michael Jordan, after he retired, quote unquote, after the 1993 championship, his third out of what would become six, went to play some baseball. We're going to get into all of it. And then he decided to unretire. And instead of a whole long press release and one of that crazy crazy press conferences. He simply sent a fax. Remember a facsimile? That should have been the word of the day. Coco, we're changing it. The word of the day, facsimile. Can you imagine that you can put a piece of paper into a machine, somehow it travels through wires, whatever that is, and then it comes out of another machine in another place and it looks exactly like it did when it was put into the machine at the first place. Staggering. I'm back. That was the simple three-word, I am back, I'm back. Some people say that's two words, I'm and then back. I'm is I am. I'm back. Last dance. This was week four of five, episode seven and eight of this 10-episode monstrosity. It's like a train wreck. I can't stop. It hurts to watch. Literally, it hurts me. I'm a Nick fan. You know this. Michael Jordan is the single person most responsible for the most misery I've ever had in my sports life. There's not even a second. This is after 18 years being in professional baseball as a vocation. Michael Jordan is still more than Barry Bonds when he would crush us with the Giants, more than anyone on the Phillies or the Braves, more than Greg Maddox. Michael Jordan the bane of my existence. So much to break down here in these last two episodes, seven and eight. They were emotional. You have Michael Jordan crying, sobbing. You've got murder. You've got betrayal. You've got absolute baby behavior. It had a little bit of everything. We're going to take it piece by piece. And I want to give you some insight into what's going on from an industry standpoint as some of these stories are happening. So back in 1993, that was the Nick failure after being up two games to zero, losing the next four. Jordan goes on to win the championship. Some rumors had been happening at that time, and it was built up through the first few episodes of Last Dance. He had had enough. 
He wanted to retire. As he said in the episode, he'd had it up to here. If you're not watching and listening, my hand is over my head. He's had it up to here, which on Jordan would be around his waist. So I guess Jordan had it up to his waist if I've had it up to here because I've just about had it up to here. Season ends. He has a championship. All of a sudden, I remember very clearly, and I was in, uh, I'd finished law school at this time, and I was studying for the bar, uh, which I took in the summer of 93. Shout out to a friend of mine, still quite my closest friend. His name is Brett. We spent the entire summer, talk about before social distancing, we would walk through Central Park on the way to Fordham Law School, where our bar class was. And every day we'd walk through and we'd stop in the Great Lawn and we'd hang out. We'd play Frisbee or whatever we do and sit in the sun and talk to people. So we're nervous about the bar, but not really. So we're taking the bar and big basketball fan, as you know, at that time, I am uh, 25 years old. And there's some ramblings that Michael Jordan is going to retire. I thought that was strange. Why would any athlete retire in his prime? All of a sudden, a press conference is announced, and it becomes the biggest press conference I've ever seen, and I've been to Ichiro press conferences where I didn't think they could be bigger, or ballpark press conferences where people are throwing stones and agitated and angry, local and national writers, reporters, politicians. This was attended, and you saw it in the documentary, Tom Brokaw, the national news anchor at the time for the National Broadcasting Company, was live on site of his retirement. The biggest press conference I'd seen before that was the Magic Johnson announcing that he was HIV positive and retiring immediately from the NBA. I thought that was the biggest press conference I'd seen. This one blew it out of the water. People from everywhere around the world, Michael Jordan comes in. David Stern is at the front table with his wife, with Michael Jordan and his wife, Juanita, who is nowhere in the documentary. But in these two episodes, she was mentioned twice. He's since divorced and remarried with another set of kids. Jerry Krause, Phil Jackson, Jerry Reinsdorf. Jerry Krause, the GM, who again is being pilloried. They opened the episode with an up-close press conference of Jerry Krause being asked a question by Craig Sager, the late, great courtside reporter in the NBA asking Jerry Krause about all of the backstabbing going on in 1993, as you recall, in 1998. You recall Jerry Krause had announced this would be the last season, the last dance. The whole last dance is supposed to be about the 97-98 Bulls, but it's not. It's about Michael Jordan, period. Jerry Krause gives the quote that there is no backstabbing. Then he walks out. They start the documentary with that. It's like Jordan is obsessed. It's so disappointing because I've been around players who don't get along with GMs or team presidents. But the amount of visceral anger and hatred that remains this many years later toward a GM, it's been bothering me the whole time. And I need to take a minute on this. Michael Jordan is Michael Jordan the greatest player to ever play basketball. When you have a sport like basketball, you can have a big three the way you can't in baseball, and that big three can win titles. We've seen it. The big three was started in Miami with LeBron, D. Wade, and Bosh, and they won some titles. Obviously, 
big threes have continued as the in thing in the NBA. You save cap space, you tank for a year or two, you sign a big three, and all of a sudden, you're going to win a title. Baseball doesn't work that way. You can have the MVP of the league and a Cy Young Award winner. Maybe you'll make the playoffs, but it does not guarantee a ring. It doesn't guarantee a dynasty, none of that. Baseball, you have 25 guys, and they need every one of them throughout the course of a season. Your bench players need to produce, your bullpen needs to produce, middle-inning relievers, your your late-inning relievers. You have to have minor league players who can come up and fill in and do well. Basketball is not that. But it's not what Michael Jordan says it is either. The beginning of Michael Jordan's career, it was documented. He didn't win any titles. He joined the league in 85. He didn't win his first title till 90. Big deal in 89 when they beat the Pistons. We talked about that with Doug Collins as the coach who then got fired for Phil Jackson. So Michael Jordan thinks that he is the man. He got everyone ready to play. He motivated everyone without one mention of the role that the GM played in this equation. No mention of the drafting of the draft day trade for Scottie Pippen. No mention of trading and getting Dennis Rodman. No mention of scouting and getting Tony Kukoc, who without Tony Kukoc, their last three titles would be very much in jeopardy. No mention of the Oakley for Cartwright trade, bringing in Cartwright, who was there for the first three titles and a critical figure throughout this Bulls dynasty. No mention of the role players like a Steve Kerr or is it John or Jim Paxson? I think it was Jim Paxson. I get the Paxson brothers confused. No mention of that. Moving on to Luke Longley, Bill Wennington, big guys, support players. Jerry Krause's role was critical. Without Jerry Krause, and I'm just going to tell you now, folks, there's no title in Chicago for Michael Jordan. John Paxson has zero rings. Steve Kerr, well, I guess he'd have the rings with Golden State and San Antonio, but not Chicago. But Michael Jordan's making a point in this documentary where he is a lead producer, where he has final say over the edit to make sure that the GM continues to be looked down on. Players come to me all the time. They think that they can make trades, that they can draft players, that they can scout. So many times they'll say, hey, are you, you're not really looking to trade for Fernando Rodney, are you? I'm using that example to make you laugh because the trade for Fernando Rodney was an abject disaster, but he was an all-star with San Diego. We traded for him. He basically hadn't given up a run when we got him, and he basically couldn't get anyone out after we had him. But if a player had come up to me and said, well, you're not really going to trade for Rodney. He's not going to be good with you, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's Monday morning quarterbacking. That's good info, except they aren't scouts. They aren't player personnel people. I did a tweet last night that I needed to get, I didn't need to get more attention. I wanted it to get more attention because what was bothering me is that uh, there's a lot of talk going on and Coca's going to get upset because he's going to think I'm going all over the place, but I'm having a stream of consciousness moment here, Coca. I'm sort of having one of those days. It's a Monday. I'm a little tired. I didn't sleep well last night. I have a little bit of quarantine cabin fever. The beard is a little extra itchy here on day 57. So all sorts of things are happening that I'm sort of going out of order. And I know that Coke is angry and he'll probably be yelling at me soon. But what he doesn't know for the first time, because I don't do this often, is that, see this earpiece? Yeah, it's off. 
I turned it off. <laughs> I can't hear a word he's saying. He's going to have to feverishly type in the document in order to get my attention. But what he doesn't know is right now my iPad is open, except I'm actually on Amazon. So I'm not even looking at the document so he can do all he wants. And there's nothing he can do. Of course, he could stop the recording and not actually post the show. But if you're listening to this, it means that he just threw up his hands and looked at himself in the mirror and said, who's that? So players would say that they can do all the jobs and that we'd sit in the clubhouse for hours. Me and Larry Beinfest when he was GM or me and Mike Hill when he was GM, me and Dan Jennings when he was GM or manager. And we would talk to players about the role that the front office plays because there's such a divide between the clubhouse and the front office or the locker room and the front office. It's, it's like a, a battlefield for no reason. Now, the money side I get. My job is to pay them as little as possible to do as much as possible. By the way, that's the job of your boss too, to pay you as little as possible to do the most and the best work. That doesn't make me different. It makes me totally normal. It's what every business and every team does. But you sit and talk to players, and these are good men. These are talented men. The difference is when you're good at one thing, it doesn't mean you can do another. And I found myself repeating over and over again, hey, listen, Tom, let's say I'd be debating with Tom Kohler, a former pitcher, who's just very smart, great to debate with, Christian Yelich. Stan and I would debate this all the time. We'd talk about players and personnel moves. I can't do what these guys do physically. And they can't do what we are doing mentally, not because they're not smart enough, because that's not their full-time job. They're only focused on one part of it, which is what they see as a player. And the key is when you're trying to do someone else's job is to try to look at it from that person's perspective. So running a team, I always tried to understand issues from a player's perspective, understand the issues they were having with family outside of work, the issues they were having personally, the, the injury issues they were having professionally. But as I said to Yelich many times, I didn't understand your back injury, Christian, until I hurt my back running. And then I really understood how difficult it is to play through that pain when I couldn't run at all when my lower back was hurting. I can't understand. I debate with, let's just say, Ugla and I, Dan Ugla, former player, we would have debates all the time about readiness to play and going out. He would go out a lot and not get a lot of sleep, and it would frustrate me, not when he went three for four with a home run and a double, but when he went 0 for four with three strikeouts and an error. And he would try to explain to me that the, the correlation between going out and performing is non-existent for him. And I would say that can't be because when I'm out all night – I have a problem the next day in the office. I'm a little cloudy. I'm a little foggy. I'm not as sharp with my decision-making. I'm sort of slurring words, and I'm not hitting a baseball. So these kind of debates go on and on. Michael Jordan and Derek Jeter, and I tweeted about this. I made it back, Coca. I normally do. Tweeted the fact that there's a problem right now in baseball specifically, but it's going to happen in basketball. It's going to happen in every sport where owners are trying to share the economic burden of this pandemic with the players. And they want to cut the payroll and cut the salaries of the players. And there was a tweet that said something along the lines of, it's somewhere in my timeline buried behind, uh, behind the article that came out today that thank you to CBS for 
uh, being of assistance and letting me write an article about a plan to restart baseball. You can find that on cbssports.com. And we did a bonus pod that dropped this morning. Thank you for listening and downloading and subscribing. Send that to your friends. There's some suggestions. We talked it through on the pod. They're in the article. The business side is that the players and the owners have to share the economic burden. But the players view it as, no, because we don't believe that you're actually losing money and we don't want to participate in this. That's sort of the level of distrust that they don't believe anything we say. And I said in the tweet, I said, well, why don't we ask Derek Jeter and Michael Jordan? Derek Jeter and Michael Jordan, as you know, are now not on the player's side. They've gone to the bright side. Some people say gone to the dark side. I didn't want to say that. I think it's a bright side when you go to ownership. It's what so many players want. They want to become owners. Why? Because they perceive that when you're an owner, you're in the money. Well, it turns out that if you spoke to Derek Jeter and Michael Jordan right now, they would tell you a completely different picture. And what bothers me about The Last Dance is we have two episodes left, so wait to see. But as of now, where is Jeter or Jeter? Thank you. I got Jeter in the brain. I wonder why that is. I will deal with that at my normal Wednesday 1 p.m. appointment. So thank you, Coca. Yes. He's, actually, I made up the fact that Coca would have said something in my ear right now, like, ha-ha, that's funny. You have a Wednesday 1 p.m. appointment. Yeah, I do. And that's okay. Proud of that. Jordan is running a basketball team as a very, very unsuccessful owner in every way other than asset appreciation. On an annual basis, his team loses money. On the court, his team is not doing well. I wonder whether if Jordan in a lucid moment would say, wow, it's way harder than I thought it was because it's really hard to get a team of Michael Jordans. And there were two hours of shows last night showing us what it would mean to be a teammate of Michael Jordan the way he drove his teammates, the way he fought with Steve Kerr in practice and actually punched him, the way he motivated his players, the way he abused his friend Scott Perrell, the way he made Horace Grant feel small and not let him eat if Grant had a bad day. I thought it was a joke, but it turns out it wasn't. He would literally tell the people in the clubhouse or in the locker room and on the team plane, he can't eat, he didn't play well enough tonight. And Jordan dismisses it by saying, listen, Winning and leadership have a price. He said it in a very stern tone. Winning has a price. Leadership has a price. I don't know. I've been around a lot of leaders. One of the things that leaders have to have is they have to have respect of both on-field and off-field. There's players like Hanley Ramirez we had. He was not liked by anyone except between any one and any nine. Padre Rodriguez, same thing. It wasn't personal. It just wasn't a close relationship between those players and their teammates. But when the first pitch came, you wanted that person on your team playing baseball. Basketball is a little different because everybody is dependent on everyone else. There's only one ball and it gets shared in a way that doesn't happen in baseball, which is very much batting order oriented or fielding oriented, depending on where the ball is hit. Basketball is not that way. So Jordan chose this way of leading in a way that, you know, I'm very familiar with how LeBron James is a leader as the second GOAT in the history of the NBA. Steph Curry, top 10. I don't want to get into a debate on these, on these numbers, but there's different styles of leadership. 
Jordan's style was effective because he got six rings. But looking back, why are we not hearing Jordan comment from an ownership perspective about having a player like Jordan on his team? From a player perspective, what it would have been like to play with a player like Jordan. Instead, we heard from the supporting cast, the Jed Buchlers, Buchler or Buchler? I can't tell which, Coca. I think it's Jed Buchler. The Wennington's, the Purdue's, the Kerr's. What we're hearing about is that it wasn't fun, but we understood what he was trying to do. Now, do you think that's what created championships? I don't. What created championships was Jordan had people around him who were so good that their teams were the best every year, which is why Jerry Krause to get no loving at all from anyone in this documentary. And it's not like I'm the president of the fan club of Jerry Krause, but how could you do that? So the show goes on yesterday and it covers a couple of topics that I wasn't sure they were going to get to, but they did. They talked about his retirement. They showed the press conference. They did a little stupple, little tiny bit about gambling, the conspiracy theories that were all quashed. They interviewed David Stern, the late David Stern. They got the interview in before he passed away. The interview said, there's no conspiracy. Michael Jordan wanted to retire. Of course, word has always been that he was suspended from the league for gambling. And who would have believed that? Well, I've been inside sports for 18 years. There are about 100 things that took place over my 18 years that no one ever found out about. Nobody. It's just one of those things that no one talks about. When players have tested positive, when teams have gotten in trouble from unions or from the commissioner's office, when fines have been levied by the commissioner's office to teams, when trades have been made or not made, and what the negotiations were like. One of the things we do on Nothing Personal is we tell as many stories as we can with fact, ones that I was there for, and they're fact. That's why it's nothing personal. It's just business. I wasn't inside the NBA. I can only tell you, having been an executive for 18 years now, the likelihood of Michael Jordan retiring and then coming back 18 months later is so remote to me and such a non sequitur that there has to be more to the story. Because you can say that it was, he was tired. He had nothing left to prove. They even paraded someone during the documentary, a Jordan Knight, who said, Jordan told me a year before that his dad wanted him to play baseball, and he told his dad he was going to retire and play baseball, but he had to win another championship because Bird and Magic had only won back-to-backs, so he wanted back-to-back-to-backs. And Jordan himself can say, I wasn't motivated at all. I was done. Well, I'm calling BS, and here's why. What Jordan forgot to do in editing the documentary, he forgot to cover his bases. He spent 20 minutes telling you what motivates him. He made stuff up. If George Carl walks by him in a restaurant during the finals against the Sonics and doesn't say, hi, I love you, and kiss the ring, I'm going to get you. If Nick Anderson says 45 is no number 23, he wore number 45 after his self-imposed retirement when he came back in 1995. Nick Anderson, a player for the Magic at that time, 
said 45 is no 23. Jordan took that as big motivation to work hard to have the best season actually on the best team of all time in the 19, with the 1996 Bulls. What he did to that player for the Bullets, LeBradford Smith, I think was his name. Some no name for the Bullets on the first half of a back-to-back home and a home scored 37 points against the Bulls. They lost the game. The Bulls won. Jordan said at the time, I'm going to score 37 in the first half and show that kid. David Aldridge gets on the documentary and spins a yarn. Michael Jordan, bless him, he scored 36 in the first half against LeBradford Smith the next day. Well, 25 years later, it comes out last night that LeBradford Smith never said a word. Jordan made it up. If he needed motivation, he'd make something up. He'd watch TV, he'd read an article, he'd perceive a slight. Perceive a slight is the operative word. When you're playing at that level, you need stuff to get you going for 82 regular season games. The playoffs, if you need that sort of motivation, I'm not sure I understand why. You want to beat the Magic because you lost to them last year? No. You want to beat the Magic because you want to win a ring. With the scores of players I've spoken to over the years about what motivates them, two things. You're not going to be shocked by this. One is money. Two is winning. But winning doesn't mean a game. Winning to these players is a ring. So there is no second place when you're a professional athlete. Nobody wears, when you win a pennant in MLB but lose the World Series, you get a pennant ring. No one wears their pennant rings if they have a World Series ring. No one wears your NBA Finals, hey, I made an appearance ring if you actually win the whole damn thing. So the motivation needed, in my opinion, should only be to win it all. So Michael Jordan, when he comes back and wins his second of back-to-back-to-back, so that's his six titles in eight years. The one year that he didn't play in 94 was the year that the Knicks made to the finals. In 95, it was the Pacers, or the Magic who lost, it was the Magic who lost the um, Rockets who won back-to-back while Jordan was gone. Jordan came back in 1995 in the middle of the season, toward the end in March, actually. It was phenomenal, but he just got tired in the playoffs, and they outlined that in the documentary. But Michael Jordan saying that I wasn't motivated. I'd accomplished all I had to accomplish. I was ready to retire. It's horse hockey, guaranteed. There is a reason. We may never know it. It may be in Jimmy Hoffa's vault. It just might be. Maybe we should hire Geraldo and do an entire documentary. Or maybe James Cameron can go somewhere under the sea and find out the 20,000 reasons that Michael Jordan retired. Because they do exist. So Jordan comes back after 18 months, plays in the 95 playoffs, loses to the Magic and Horace Grant, who had left the Bulls as a free agent. Jerry Reinsdorf gets interviewed as the owner and talks about the retirement and the comeback. And a little nugget came out that I had never heard from Reinsdorf before and I had never known that Reinsdorf paid Michael Jordan his basketball salary while he was playing baseball because Michael had been so underpaid for so many years that he deserved it. I almost turned off the documentary because I know that's not the real Jerry Reinsdorf. 
The real Jerry Reinsdorf makes you play to your contract. He did it with Scottie Pippen. That whole episode last week or two weeks ago, Scottie Pippen, seven-year, $18 million contract. Scottie Pippen, I'm the most underpaid guy. I'm not going to get surgery, and I'm going to miss part of the season because I'm a baby. That's because Jerry Reinsdorf is a hard-line negotiator. I learned that from you, Jerry. And now you go on the last dance, and you say I paid him because he was so underpaid? Come on, Jerry. He was not underpaid. He did a job for you, and you paid him for that job. How is it that he became a Chicago White Sox, Jerry? It's no coincidence that you own the White Sox and the Bulls. It was a perfect landing spot for Michael during this time of quote-unquote retirement. So it fomented a huge debate at the time, and now it is reborn yesterday. Michael Jordan played double-A baseball for a year. He hit 202, drove in 50 runs. People were critical of that including me, until I got into baseball. Hitting 202 at the AA level is not easy. We learned that he played AA only because there were not enough media facilities at the single-A ballparks to handle the throngs of media who were following Jordan from minor league game to minor league game. So they sent him to Birmingham, had him be managed by Terry Francona, the Hall of Fame manager, Terry Francona who at that time was managing in double A, Birmingham for the White Sox. They show Michael Jordan signing autographs and being one of the guys. If you were around during this period, he was not one of the guys. Guys toiling in double A are kids. They're 21, 22, 23 years old. Michael Jordan was 31. Michael Jordan was like Tom Berenger in Major League the old catcher who comes back for one more go. That's what it was like for Jordan in the clubhouse. Michael Jordan spinned a yarn that he was so happy to have the pressure of the NBA off his back and he could just be anonymous and play baseball. He was under a microscope in baseball like no player I've ever seen from Bonds to Ichiro to McGuire to Sosa, none of them. The attention that Michael Jordan had as a baseball player for that season was and is unprecedented. Hard stop. So that can't be the reason. So Jordan hits 202 in double A, hits three home runs, drives in 50, and people are critical. I'm not critical. It's very hard to be a baseball player. Way harder to be a good baseball player than to be a good basketball player. It's not even close. I'm not saying the physicality required is harder or greater. The skill required to be a top major league baseball player is far far more difficult than the skill required to be a top National Basketball Association player. Now, I'm not criticizing Michael Jordan's physical abilities as an NBA player. He's the greatest of all time, maybe the greatest person ever playing a team sport. I'm in. I mean, I'm in on Jordan, the player. I'm not in on criticizing him for not being able to be a big leaguer. But of course, put into the documentary, edited in, was people saying if he had gotten 1,500 at-bats, Tito said, Terry Francona, he would have been a big leaguer. Jerry Reinsdorf, if he had stuck around, he would have been a big leaguer. Well, is Tim Tebow in the, in the big leagues? Coca, has Tebow had one major league at-bat for the Mets? I don't think so. Not a chance. How about the number of two sport players for real? People are debating that. Coca and I were debating it before the show. There's Deion Sanders there's Bo Jackson, there's Danny Ainge. Now, Dave Winfield was a multi-sport star. 
Giancarlo Stanton could have been an NFL player for sure, but he wasn't. In order to be considered a two-sport star, you have to be at the big league level for both sports. Michael Jordan was not a two-sport star, no matter when he played basketball, no matter how much he loved playing basketball. So he finishes his baseball career, comes back. They took five minutes out of the documentary to talk about Scottie Pippen and the role he took on in 1994 and how happy he was to be out from Jordan's wing. They had Phil Jackson interviewed saying, Scottie Pippen can get out of the shadows. People are tweeting left and right that Scottie Pippen was the All-Star Game MVP. Like, who cares? Like that. Wow. The All-Star Game MVP for Scottie Pippen. Way to go. Maybe that was the agreement so he wouldn't say anything about the agreement of how Jordan retired. And I'm not just, I'm not saying that that's accurate. I'm saying also everybody who cares. Great player. Top, maybe one of the top 75 players of all time. Top 75 to top 100. He was in the top 50 at one point, but not anymore. So Scottie Pippen brings his team into the playoffs. They're playing the Knickerbockers in a series. Who could forget? The end of game three of the Eastern Conference semifinals, Scottie Pippen, it's a tie game. Play called by Phil Jackson for Tony Kukoc. Scottie Pippen isn't in the game. And I'm at the game, watching the game, and it was obvious that Scottie Pippen wasn't in the game. The thought was injury until you see Bill Cartwright yelling at Scottie Pippen on the bench. I think the game was in Chicago. Scottie Pippen doesn't play. Tony Kukoc hits a game winner. They win the game. They end up losing the series in a very controversial way with a call by a referee at the end. But the point was, Scottie Pippen, at his greatest moment, without Jordan, the one run of playoffs he had without Jordan during the eight-year run of six titles in eight years, Scottie Pippen gives up on his teammates. Well, in baseball, when that happens, and we've seen it happen in the clubhouse from time to time, it's game over. It's game over. When a player doesn't take an at-bat, when a player refuses to go into a game, when a player doesn't want to pitch, and we've had it. As a matter of fact, in 2003, Brad Penny, there was a big start. The team was trying to get better. Jack McKeon had just taken over as manager. Brad Penny couldn't pitch. He got sick, couldn't pitch for a game. We had to have an emergency starter. I want to say Tommy Phelps started that game. It was an issue in our clubhouse. There was a time when Tom Kohler, two mentions for Tom Kohler, one at one pod. Tom Kohler was supposed to throw at a hitter. There was an issue where we had been thrown at. Tom Kohler was supposed to throw at somebody and Tom Kohler missed him. And that was an issue in the clubhouse. There are all sorts of hazing that goes on in fighting. It's like families are together so much. But never do you think that a teammate has given up on you and recover from that. They took minutes last night to explain to people that everyone forgave Scottie Pippen. Michael Jordan was concerned that there would be no forgiveness. Michael Jordan called Phil Jackson that day and said, Scottie Pippen took himself out of the game. He's going to live with this forever. They took five minutes to talk about Bill Cartwright giving a speech in the clubhouse saying that I'm so disappointed that he was crying, literally crying. 
Bill Cartwright is a man who had great respect with that team. And when players meet the team, it's always more impactful. When we had clubhouse meetings, we always wanted players to do the talking. We wanted players to police themselves. We wanted them to be mature enough to take care of issues, which only happens 40% of the time. The other 60%, the manager, coaches, or front office has to get involved. But in this case, Phil Jackson let Bill Cartwright talk. Scottie Pippen had given up on his teammates. Why was Scottie Pippen forgiven? Because in basketball, you're in bed with the best players on your team and there's not a damn thing you can do about it. There's no way that anyone's winning anything with just Jordan. They needed Pippen. They can say all they want. They would have won the title in 1994 if they'd gotten a better call out of Hugh Hollins in game seven against the Knicks in the conference semifinals. They could say they would have beaten Elijah even though Elijah had a 13 and 10 record, a winning record against the Bulls over his career. The Rockets were a really good team in 94. Not as good as the Knicks. Not as good as the Knicks. Scotty Pippen. I've never, I've never seen anything like it. And the worst part is Scotty Pippen said, if I had to do it again, I would have done it again. He actually said that. I don't even understand how that's possible. How do you actually, when you have 20 years to look back on something, 25 years, it's 26 years. And he sits there and says, I'm obviously disappointed with how that happened. But if it, if I had to do it again, I think I would have done it again. God, that was telling. I wonder why Jordan added that and put that in the documentary. Why didn't that get edited out? You have to know when you're watching Last Dance that every single thing that's in there is in there for a purpose. The way they, what I think is choppy going from front to back and back to front to 94 to 98, back to 93, back to 98. It's choppy, but it's all done for a reason because the character arc that we're supposed to be paying attention to is Michael Jordan. So what we're going to see in episodes nine and 10, and I can't wait to watch them. What we are going to see is the finale of this character arc of Michael Jordan. We're going to see him through the 1998 playoffs. We're going to see him win his sixth title in a row, six and eight years, his second back-to-back-to-back, his second three-peat. Are we going to see his time with the Wizards as a player? Because do you remember that he retired and then came back to play with the Wizards? Are we going to see his time as an owner in Charlotte? It's very interesting how they're going to edit episodes nine and 10 because they can't hide behind the fact that this is the last dance. It's only about the 97, 98 Bulls and the last dance with Phil Jackson. That's not right. They've gone into a multitude of issues. Will we get the complete Jordan picture? Next Sunday night is the finale and we'll be back here next Monday and we're going to talk about it. Last dance seven and eight. It hurts, but it's worth watching. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. So, I'm reading a report right now that is happening as we record that the World Baseball Classic has been postponed and will not take place in 2021. 
The World Baseball Classic we covered when we did the Harper Olympics segment last week on Nothing Personal, when Harper wants MLB players in the Olympics. This is not a precursor to having baseball players in the Olympics. That's not why the World Baseball Classic is not happening in 21. I knew it wasn't going to happen, and here's how. The World Baseball Classic makes its money, and I know this because we hosted it in Miami. This is a crushing financial defeat for the Miami Marlins, who are going to be hosting the the finals and also the first round semis and finals. They were going to make, I bet you, according to what we made in 17 when we hosted, my guess is their net for hosting the two rounds would have been in the four to six million dollar range. That's not peanuts. That's gone now. Now, why would MLB right now come out and say no World Baseball Classic in 2021? It's obvious. Number one, when you have the World Baseball Classic, as we spoke about, that requires an earlier spring training. Well, this season, if baseball starts again, it's going to end later than ever. And then you can't go into a spring training starting earlier than ever. Number two. The money for the World Baseball Classic, the lion's share comes from gate receipts. Tremendous amount of dollars are made that way. It is not a guarantee that there will be fans allowed even by February or March of 2021. Secondly, or am I up to thirdly, Coke? I think I'm up to thirdly. Thirdly, the way... It works with teams traveling from all over the world to the United States for the semifinals and the finals, whoever makes it, whether it's Japan or Taiwan or Korea, Australia, Israel. There is no way to guarantee right now where and whether travel restrictions will be lifted for international players to come. Next, there will be major league players who will play on teams outside of the United States as part of the World Baseball Classic. Just think about Ichiro when he would play for Japan. He'd leave Seattle and play for Japan. You can't guarantee that that Dominican Republic and Venezuela and every country where there are players would play, stay in the States. Owners, there's no way, are letting their players fly internationally for the World Baseball Classic right now. They would not let them participate. And you're saying it's not right now. It's not for 10 months. And I'm telling you, that is right now in terms of planning. And the last reason the World Baseball Classic is absolutely being postponed or canceled. Coca, do we have the report? Is it canceled or are they going to try to move it to 22? I don't know the answer to that because I'm doing the show live. So how would I actually know that? Coca is either watching Homeland or he finished Homeland. He may be onto something else, maybe Fauda. Or he's reading about this story because he's definitely not talking to my not plugged in earpiece. He's saying it could possibly be moved to 23. All right, I guess that'd be possible. Now, why 23, would you say? Well, that's after the new collective bargaining agreement, which is up after 21, and that gives a year for the collective bargaining agreement to take place. It also is a non-Olympic year because the Olympics, in theory, will be in 21 and then again in 24 because they were supposed to be in 20 and 24. So there's a lot of reasons for that, and that sort of makes sense to me. It's a bit of a wait to see. The only thing that we were guaranteed and we learned right now is that the World Baseball Classic is another casualty of coronavirus. Day 57, ML Beer Challenge. You know it's a Monday. We're taking care of three cities, Dallas, Houston, and Oklahoma City. ML Beer Challenge is Coca and Samson 
We're going to, I am not referring to myself in the third person. I don't care how many people listen to nothing personal and how big it ever gets. I will not do that. I will not be Ricky Henderson. He was very famous for talking about himself in the third person. Coca and I are growing our beards. And we are growing them until Major League Baseball has opening day. You're saying, and people have said this already today, that I came up with a plan to start baseball for the sole purpose of being able to shave. I don't deny that. I look forward to the day when you can see my cute punum again. But until then, we're going to grow the beard. For the first 100 days, by the way, that's P-U-N-I-M. Punum. That's a synonym for face. So you don't have to Google it. Cocalicious. First 100 days, we're giving away $1,000 a day to causes raising money for people impacted by coronavirus. We're giving it to team foundations, some separate foundations. We went through all of the MLB cities. We're going through the NBA. We've taken a few sidetracks. We gave to charity up in Boston. We gave to the NFL.com slash relief. We did a couple things. For Dallas, I'm giving it to the Mavericks because Mark Cuban knows what he's doing. For Houston, I am finding a boys and girls club in Houston because I'm worried that any money given to the Rockets will go to the casinos owned by the owner, Frittata. (laughs) I'm kidding, Coca. Of course he wouldn't take money for charity and use it to pay James Harden and Russell Westbrook. That said, Boys and Girls Club in Houston. Oklahoma City is a uh, city close to my heart. I love Oklahoma City. If you've never been there, you should. It's actually phenomenal. Great AAA baseball team. Great NBA team. Just a great city. I'm going to give to a charity that is involved, that was started, and I just don't have the name of it right now, but I'll get back to you on that because I just thought of it now. I planned on going through the Oklahoma City team but I want to do something that's related to the Oklahoma City bombing. And there is, a, there is a foundation that was started. And I want to know what they're doing as it relates to coronavirus. There's the famous tree in Oklahoma City. I'm going to get back to you on the exact name of the charity so those people in Oklahoma City can take advantage and give to that. You got $19, you got $29, $119, whatever you have. Please be generous. We need it. Wait to see. A lot of talk going on right now about MLB meeting with the union, MLB having votes with the owners, a lot of talk on what's going to happen. Let me be clear about what's not happening in the next two days. There is no return to play timeline given by MLB to the owners or to the union this week. That is my way to see. There will be no return to play. They will discuss economics. They will discuss rule changes potential realignments and schedule changes, but there will not be a return to play timeline. Now they're all getting together, the baseball owners, the union players, lawyers, because they've got a lot of business to do and they better not make it personal. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.